Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Um, I appreciate that. Um, if I take the Bible off, is it any kind of curse or something that'll happen to me if I lay this down? I want to make sure. They used to say if you went in at midnight and took the Bible out of the church, that you know, something would happen to you. So we tried it. Nothing happened to us. When I was a teenager, so we didn't, don't ever tell, don't tell anybody we did that. But we're glad to be here and uh, appreciate your friendship and blessings over the years. It's always good to be. It's good to have Rod back with me again. He's kind of kind of uh, become part of you too. Y'all have uh, become friends with him. Jennifer didn't get to come with us tonight. That's why we was early, by the way. And uh, if y'all tell her that, I will say, uh, y'all are lying. I did not say that. All right, there's no way. We, me and Rod are getting in trouble, but we, we was, uh, I appreciate them. They've been so good to me, took me all over the country uh, preaching. And um, I think as of this last church I've been in, I've been in 135 churches, I think, um, in the last four and a half, five years, and um, about 25 new churches a year, some of them multiple times. I'm back here now for, what is it, six years, seven years? I don't know, good, several years now, and it's been a blessing to be here and good to know you folks and uh, some faces we miss now and those going to be with the Lord and uh, from the first time I was here so it's uh but it's uh, good to know them and and um, I remember a few years ago we had something happen here we don't see very often I can remember we had one night where God got on the place really good and folks were laying on the floor I remember that weeping and with broken hearts and uh, you don't see that everywhere you go, and that was a real joy that night to see uh, God work here in, in the church, and um, so thank you for being here. And singing I Fly Away, I um, used to hear that, used to, back a few years ago. I've been doing this now. I turned 70 uh, just a few days, about a few weeks ago in August, I turned 70, and so I've been preaching since 1977. And so I've been doing this a pretty good while. So back in the days, I'll Fly Away was done at a lot of funerals. You just hear I'll Fly Away all the time. And so I got to thinking, you know, I wonder that, that song kind of originated 1930. That thing been around since 1930. It was a contemporary song in 1930. And now we're still singing it. And I got to thinking, where is that in the Bible? Uh, and I found a verse in the Bible. If you don't, if you somebody ever asks you about that song, there is a verse in the Bible. It's in the Psalms, and I use this sometimes at funerals to remind people about that particular verse. Psalm ninety, verse number twelve, uh, verse number ten. Listen to what it said: The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years. Yet is their strength in their strength, labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. So it's a biblical song. We fly away. In other words, one of these days we all run out of gas on the road of life. And when we do, he comes and gets us and we fly away. And so I don't know about you, but I'd rather go through the clouds, but I'll have, I may have to go through the clods. But either way, I'm going to be flying away. Aren't you? Amen. And it's okay if you say, man, it doesn't hurt my feelings, all right? I want you to know that. Now, tonight, I want to do something that just a few weeks ago, the Lord just kind of pulled out something. I hadn't preached on this text. I've, I've mentioned it a few times along the, in the years and used it uh, as illustrations and as fill-in and as ex explanatory, but I hadn't taken it and preached it contextual now since 1995. I, I just 
I noticed in my notes, I, so I, I, God laid it on my heart and I pulled it back out and it's so necessary for our day in which we live. I want you to turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Ezekiel chapter 37. What I'm going to talk about is a familiar passage, but contextually sometimes we don't preach on it. We mention it, but we really don't camp on it. And I think in today's world, we need Ezekiel chapter 37. So uh, we'll turn there tonight and verse number 1. And I want to talk to you about the revival of dry bones tonight. The revival of dry bones. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 37. Now I want to remind you something. I don't care what kind of revival you have. When you get revived, the devil gets revived. Did y'all hear me? When you get revived, the devil gets revived. And so I just, I know that happens. You say, we want revival, and we do. But when we have revival, we also understand it sets us back at war. It sets off a war. We got to go back to battle again because the devil gets revived just like we get revived. He hates revival because when we get revived, he has to get stirred up again to try to kill what God's doing in our churches. That's why we need continual revival. That's why every year and many, maybe several times through the years, our churches need to be reminded of revival. And yet it is a thing that's going by the wayside. So I want to talk to you about the revival of dry bones because whatever God's done these other two services uh, before I get here and what He'll do tonight and tomorrow night, we can just know that whatever God stirs up, the devil's going to try to put out. So that means that we have to understand some things. And here it is in chapter 37 of a book of Ezekiel tonight. And I will preach on the revival of dry bones. And actually, here's what I want to ask the question. Can revival really happen? Can it? Because I think most of us think it can't. I mean, even though we know deep down it can, I think we have taken an attitude over the last years, and, it's, and I'm, when I say the church, I'm talking about the church as a whole, a group of believers has come to the place to where we've almost give up on the fact that we'll ever see what we've seen in the past. Can we have a revival again? Yes, we can. Will we? That's up to us or not. So listen to what the Bible says. Verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which were full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were many in the open valley and they, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? God's asking the question. He he wants to know what we think about it. Can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said to me, Prophesy upon these bones and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter to you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin, put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And by the way, that's all revival's about, this world knowing who God is and what God can do. And then look, so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews of the flesh, 
came open them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then said he to me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And then said he to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts. They had lost hope of ever being revived. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out of your graves and bring you to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O my people, brought you out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. And then shall you know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So tonight we'll ask a question. Can... Revival happen. Can these bones live? Let's bow our heads. Father, I pray tonight you'll speak to us like only you can, like only you really do. And Lord, I pray tonight that we might be blessed in what we hear. We might be stirred. We might see in this picture ourselves, our lives, our church, our families, our communities, the church body as a whole, collectively, and God, may we see that. And God, may we realize where we are. And God, would you renew our hope, revitalize our minds that we might believe that you can still do it again. And we'll trust this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking tonight. This passage is showing us a miracle. Of course, it's a miracle because it's a resurrection takes place so it's obviously a miracle and that means here that in this case something is being restored something that's dead is coming back to life so revival will always be a miracle it cannot be explained any other way than a miracle in fact the greatest revivals in history when you look at it you can put all the elements in it you want to. You can give all the reasons you want to. But if it's all said and done, it's a miracle of God. And so that's what we're really seeing here tonight is a miracle because revival is a miracle. And it is a miracle based on conditions. You know, most of us know 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. We can quote it by heart. You know, my people which are called by my name, they shall lumber themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and, cleanse, and, and, cleanse, and restore their land. Now, let's heal their land. Listen to what the verse 13, though, before that says. You won't need verse 14 until 13 happens. And in 13 he says, When I shut up the heavens that there be no rain, when I stop blessing, when things start quit quit growing and your crops quit, quit, quit being blessed and your land quits being blessed and things start falling apart in your land, then if my people shall call upon me, I'll bring revival again to it. I'll turn the rain back on. I'll make the land produce. I'll make you fruitful again. So when we know we need revival is when we've ceased to be fruitful. When we're not bringing forth fruit. 
We're not as close to God as we used to be when God's not using us or allowing God to use us. And when those things start to dry up in our church or in our life or in our community, whatever the case might be, we know we need revival. So we forget sometimes 2 Chronicles 7.13 because 2 Chronicles 7.14 was given to us in the midst of revival. A revival was going on right then. I mean, God was pouring Himself down. 21 days of it. All revival. He said, when this stops, here's what you'll see. You quit being fruitful, you need a revival. And so we can examine our own lives and we can tell when we cease to be fruitful, we need revival. Can I get a witness? When I cease to be fruitful, I need revival. When a church ceases to be fruitful, they need a revival. And so tonight... Let's think about those services. I don't think any of us here tonight can say, not me, I don't need revival, because we all do, don't we? Sometimes we're going to need it. Now, you may have already been revived, and you may be fired up tonight, hotter than a firecracker. I don't know, but I do know this. There's going to be a day when you're going to need revival, and it's probably going to be real soon. First time you come to a red light, and somebody runs out in front of you, and you get hot and mad, you're going to need revival again. Amen? So tonight, let's talk about this thing. First of all, let me put the context and let, let you understand this. Not, and, and you probably know this by heart, but I want to remind you that all Scripture is given for us. In fact, 2 Timothy says it's given for us for instruction and in righteousness and for all the things it's given to us for, for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. All Scripture is given to us. But, are for us, but not all Scripture was, given, was written to us at the moment. It was written to someone else for us down the road. So typically and in context here, what we have here is spiritually and practically is a picture of revival, but literally, prophetically, he's talking about Israel, the nation Israel. He's talking about restoring the nation of Israel. So if you know what, the, all through the promise of the Old Testament was that God was going to restore Israel. He promised them that. He told them that. And He said He would. And when God says He will, guess what? He will. So I think in 1948, Matthew 24 become a reality that Jesus said would happen, the fig tree would bloom again. And in 1948, it was a fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 where God restores the nation of Israel. Never, ever been in, ever in history a nation that's ever come from the ashes back like Israel had. Never happened before. And so God restores the nation of Israel, I think, in 1948, and set ticking everything He says in Matthew 24 and 25. So Israel being restored is a big deal. That's what this thing is about. Can these bones live? Of course they can, because God said they could. So when I ask you spiritually and practically, God also uses that same principle to deal with revival in the church. Can the church be revived? Of course it can. Of course it can. Can you be revived? Of course you can. Now you may not. Remember, it's conditional. If my people will. When we cease to be fruitful, we cease to be blessed when we cease to be serving God in power, when the anointing of God seems to be gone off our life, next thing you know, we need revival. So spiritually tonight, I want us to look at it from that perspective, not in a prophetical way, because I believe God started in 1948 
to breathe life into these bones, to cause these bones to come together. The Spirit of God is not quite breathed into them what he's going to do one day. But he started it, I think, in 1948. And uh, you can say, well, I don't believe. And you don't have to. And I may be wrong on that. I'll get to heaven. I think you'll find out I'm right. But just in case, it doesn't matter. God's going to do exactly what he said he's done in chapter 37, whichever way he chooses to do it. So he can do it in our way. So let's think about it. When Ezekiel, if, if, if we face the stinging question that Ezekiel was asked, what if I were to come to you and you were to hear God come to me and ask me, okay, son, do you think, look around you. Look at the church scene today. Look at what's happening in America. And by the way, God's prophetic clock does not tick by what happens in America. It, we're just evidence of what happens in degradation and sin, and now we're seeing the judgment and the hand of God upon us, and we'll probably cease to be a national power, but we're not even mentioning the end times because God doesn't measure. You always look at Israel when you want to know something about the end times, all right? Israel and Babylon is the two things you need to look at when it comes to prophetic terms. But spiritually, God can bring revival anywhere. And if God were to ask us tonight, can revival really come? Can the church be again what it once was, what some of us even remember, and what we've heard even before that? Can we have another 1856? Can we have those kinds of revivals take place again? Can we have it in our heart? Can we have it in our church? Can we? If we were honest, what would we say? Well, we say, yeah, I, I know it can happen to me. Or we would we just kind of casually say yes, but deep down we got our doubts. I think when we look around today, if we're not careful, we could lose hope. And this here is to show Israel, you're hopeless right now, but this is to give you hope. You shall live again. So tonight the church has a promise. Your church has a promise. Every church has a promise. You can live again. You can be restored. We talk about the good old days. I'm not sure good old days were so good. Those of you that didn't have a bath but had a path, I'm telling you, it wasn't quite as good as it is right now. You know what? Especially in the wintertime. Can I get an amen? Or in the hot summer when the walk's nest built in the cot and the chicken steaks is laying in there. It's just not fun, you know? But So the good old days may have not been as good as we think they are, but there was better days in the church life I've been doing this 47 years now, and I can tell you, I've never seen the church in the state it's in right now. I've never seen it in the shape it's in right now. I've never seen it, and I'm talking about collectively, across the board, I've never seen the church in the shape it's in right now. And I think if you have, I know sometimes we're not aware of what's going on around, around us, but it, if you've heard anything that's going around in the, in the Christian world today, I think you'd have to agree the church is at an all-time low. We're compromisers. We have lost our power. We've lost our impact. We've lost our influence. Most of the time, you could shut, a, you shut the doors of a church in a community, and the community would never notice it. That's sad, isn't it? So tonight, let's think about that. Can we have revival in the graveyard? Because our world's a graveyard. First of all, morally, it's a graveyard. We have, we're fact, fact, we're absolutely dead morally. We have no morals. There is no moral code. There is no moral conviction. Nothing. We have no 
morals. In fact, today, we're at the lowest point of depravity, Romans 1 says, that we can go. We cannot go any lower in our state of depravity than we are right now. When we have taught teaching our kids by the time they're four years of old that God messed up in how He made you and you get to pick how you want to be because God didn't make you right, something's wrong with our morals. And so we know tonight we're dead morally. We're not only dead there, we're dead in our education system. We have no ethics. We, we, have, we don't teach our children anything. We've canceled history. They do not know the back spiritually that this nation was built upon. They do not know the heart and soul and burden and death and blood, sweat and tears that this country came from. And it was all based on the heart of God's people. But we, we don't teach that to our kids anymore. They don't know anything past 1960. Because we have a cancel culture. That same thing's happened in the church. We, have, we don't want this generation to know what God did in the church in days gone by because it will get us up off our blessed assurances and make us go to work. It will get us up and start con- con- confronting sinners with their sin. It will get us up fired up again for God. It will get us up faithful to the church again. It will stir things up. We'll get hot for souls again. And I'm going to tell you something. The modern generation, the devil has filled the pulpits and filled the pews with people who wants the status quo, who wants us to stay complacent. We don't want revival because we are dead spiritually. We're dead in the media. If you believe anything you hear in the media, I need to talk to you after because you've got some sanity problems. Because if they tell you something, it's opposite. It's never the truth. Did you know that 90-something percent of the media are atheists? 90-something percent of the, of the media are avowed atheists. So that's the report you're getting it from. That's the angle it's coming from. So an atheist don't have any problem with lies because they don't have a moral code. So we're dead in the media. We're dead in the family. Today, family means nothing. Divorce is as common as a cold because we don't see commitment anymore in the marriage. We don't teach commitment anymore in the marriage. We say, well, I'm just not happy in my marriage anymore. Who is? Everybody's not happy some days in their marriage. Nick, say amen. You did better not. She'll slap you in the next week. No, sir. You got more sense than that, don't you? Yeah, okay. Yes, sir. You men sit there all skirt, skirted up. I know. I know who wears the pants now, okay? The truth of the matter is, is that there's days we don't feel like being married, but that does not give us the opportunity to go out and throw our family to the wind. But we're dead in the family life because we took God out of it. We've quit sitting around the kitchen table with the Bible and praying before we eat our meals and talking about Scripture sometime during the day before we go to bed with our children and teach them the things of God. We've quit making sure that every time the doors open, our children are there and they know that's what God expects out of them to be in the house of God with God's people. We quit that. So we're dead. Society has become a graveyard. We don't have a work ethic. Have none. No work ethic. Everybody expects entitlements. Everybody expects it free. We're dead when it comes to those particular things. So I want you to think about it tonight. Church has come to the place to where we have done the very same thing the world has. 
we have gotten so spiritually cold that we've got a church graveyard sitting in many of our pews tonight. We have, we're so full of contemporary compromise. We're so full of canceled culture in the church. We have forgotten the shoulders we stood on. We've left off the old landmarks as the Old Testament says it. We've now walked in apathy and path, no, no pathos about anything. We're lukewarm. We're compromised. We liberalize. We pragmatize everything. And so it's less praying, less preaching, less teaching of the Word of God. As a result, there's more freedom to sin now in our churches than we've ever had because nobody's ever going to tell them it's wrong anymore. That's the only place we got left to tell people it's wrong anymore. They can't tell them at school it's wrong. You'll never hear it told from national media it's wrong. Not from the White House is it wrong. Nothing's wrong from the White House. So the church house is the only place. And when we quit doing it, we leave nothing but death. You say, well, churches can't be dead. Yes, they can. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1, God says, you have a name that you liveth, but I say you're dead. That's what God said. And then he said, you need to strengthen those things that remain. There's a few things that still remain that it all not die. Thank God there's a few sprinkled in among the church that just gives it just enough life to keep breathing. That's it. And God says, be careful about dying in your church. So if y'all follow with me tonight, let's take this passage and deal with it. First of all, I want you to notice the desperation that we see here in this text. First of all, God takes Ezekiel down. The hand of the Lord's upon him. He carries him out in the spirit of the Lord. This is a spiritual thing that God is doing. He's speaking to him spiritually here. And he says to him, he set him in the midst of that. Now you're talking about an illustration that will get your attention. In fact, you read the life of Ezekiel. I mean, anybody laying cow manure all night long, you know, he was serious about his preaching and really clear on on his illustrations. And here he comes, God sets him in the middle of a valley full of bones. Full of bones. Now, why, why does he use the word valley? Because the term for valley in the Bible most of the time means a low, desperate place. A low, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's a desperate place. And the particular valley that he's talking about here in this particular case is in Jeremiah 19.6 called the valley of slaughter. Valley of slaughter. So the valley here that he's talking about is the valley of Hinnom. He makes it clear to us. It's the valley of Hinnom. It was a place of death. The valley of Hinnom was Death Valley. It was right outside Jerusalem. Right outside. It's still there today. It's been, some of it's been filled in. But the place of the valley of Hinnom right outside, and it used to be not in the new part of Jerusalem, but in the old, right beside the old part of was what was called Jabus, which was the Jebusite community that David took over. You remember where he sent Joab up through the tunnel and they captured the city and from that day known it was known as the city of David because they captured it. It was just a little bitty nook, just a little bitty spot hanging out over a cliff. That's all they had. Eventually it spread, built a temple up on the mount, Mount Zion, and then the city grew up around it. Well now they're outside of the old city, there's still this valley of Hinnom, this place, this valley of slaughter. The place of slaughter, the place of defeat, 
the place of darkness. That's where they were. It was a desperate place. And there are times many churches could be named the Dry Bones Church. Baptist Church, Methodist Church, Community Church. They're the Dry Bones Church. Some of it could be called Grace Graveyard Church, right? Today, I, I was kidding the other night about it. And I think today, if you were to see many churches, they'd have all these new modern names, drybones.com church. And that's what we got right here. And folks, it happens in churches. We might as well name it that because when people walk in, it's just like a valley of dead. Valley of death. Nothing there but dry bones. And you say, what happened? Somewhere, an army went into that valley. At some point, an army had went into that army, into that valley. And you remember this. If it was Israeli bones, and it seems to be an Israeli army, or at least somebody from that, period, from that, from that generation of, through, from Abraham on, it must have been one of those armies who had come through. And there they had died in that valley. And you remember that the only way you could lose, the only way that any of God's people ever lost a battle is when they was disobedient to God. Every time they was obedient, God guaranteed them they'd win. They'd never lose. They couldn't lose. David couldn't lose as long as he walked with God. Joshua couldn't lose. Only reason he lost at Ai was because they disobeyed God. They come back, got it right, went on, dealt with that sin, got that cancer out of their camp, went forward, and got victory. And so God's people would always win. But here was a disobedient crowd. Here was a crowd that hadn't obeyed God, and they get into this valley in a battle, and they die. Every last one of them dies in this valley. And all is there is the valley of bones of an army that had been defeated. You say, what does that mean to me? Well, it meant that this was a place of such desperation that this army had marched in there to fight a battle and been beaten so badly that they all died in the valley. And so we have to see that it was just not only the place, but there was an army of desolation. In other words, life had once been there. Where you have a bone, that means life had once been there. At one time it was vibrant. At one time there were some warriors there. At one time there was people slashing swords. At one time there was a war going on here for God. At one time there was something moving and going and happening for the Lord Jesus Christ. But now all we have is an army of desolation. Life had been there and where life has been, get this, life can be again. We could walk in any church and we could say, I remember when this place was popping. I remember when this place was full. I remember when people were getting saved constantly. I remember when God was moving in our church. We can remember those days. When we look back around and where are we sitting today? That's what he's looking at right now. Here's an army that once was vibrant, once was victorious, but now it's defeated. It's an army of desolation. If you see a Bone laying out in the field. For the most point, you say, one time a cow stood there. No, no more. Coyote stopped that. They got defeated. Somewhere, somebody put an end to that animal. You see a deer. You see bones from a carcass of a deer. You say, one time there was a deer right here. You know by the bones that there has been life at that particular place. And... You go to a cemetery, 
And you look at that cemetery, and even though you don't see the bones, you know they're there. And you say, at one time, every person in the cemetery, there was life. But now it's nothing but death. But I want you to know it's not only life had been there, but large, largeness had been there. Look, it said it was full of bones. It wasn't just a few. It was a bunch of bones here in this place. Full of bones. Now, I got to thinking about that. You say, well, I believe God's people ought to be a peaceful people. Well, they ought to always be a peaceful people. You ought to have peace in your heart. You ought to have peace in your life with God. You ought to have peace between God. But I can tell you, the life of a Christian is far from peaceful against the world. When you got saved, you entered into a battle. When you got born again, you, start, you started fighting against hell. You started fighting against evil. You started against fighting against everything dark. You didn't get on the good ship lollipop. You got in a fight when you got saved. You didn't get on a cruise ship. You got on a battleship. And that's exactly what it was. You didn't join a playground. You joined a battleground. Because when we marched into the family of God, we went to battle. And God constantly tells us His armies. Even when He comes back again, Him, the great warrior with the sword in His mouth, who's He got with Him? Armies. Us. Armies. We're called armies. Think about that. Listen, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, He says, put on the armor of righteousness. In Ephesians 6.10, He goes through all the armor of God, the whole armor of God. Why do you do it? So you'll stand. You won't be dead. Like in the valley. You'll make it. You won't, you'll survive the, va- the valley. You'll survive the war. You'll survive the battle. If you put on the whole armor of God. So he tells us to make sure we do that. And in Philippians 2.25, he calls us soldiers. And then he, he even calls Epaphroditus his fellow soldier in 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And then he says that we're in a warfare. And they knew Paul knew, every person knew that when they got saved, when they come on the Lord's side, that meant now they had an enemy on the other side whose name was Satan. And they were in a war, had a war in their hand. It's called the spirit and the flesh. The Holy Ghost against the flesh. The flesh against the Holy Ghost more so because the Holy Ghost always wins when we say sick them to Him. But I want you to think about that, folks. The Bible is clear that the big... He says, he says in 1 Timothy 1.18, War a good warfare. And when Paul died, his last thing, I have fought a good fight. We're in this thing to fight. Y'all with me tonight? We're in a fight. And we got a strong fight. For the first time in most of our lives... We're seeing that fight brought right to our doors. Right face to face, to our churches, to our pews, to our pulpit. We've got a fight on our hands. And we need to make sure that war in the spirit is how we fight it, not in the flesh. Only way to win. Secondly, we need to make sure we war over the spiritual, not the carnal. You don't use carnal means to do spiritual work. It won't work. You know, we have only two offensive weapons that God gives us. At least that's all I can find. Maybe I'm wrong, but only two offensive weapons, and that's the Word of God and prayer. You read Ephesians 6. So only two things He gives us to fight with. That means that's sufficient, right? His Word, He says, is called John 6, 63. His words is spirit, words of life. His Spirit is words of life. 
So when we take the Word of God, we're going to war against the evil one because this is truth and he's a liar. This is truth and he's error. This is truth, he's evil. That's what we're going to war against. And we have prayer and the Bible as our two offensive weapons. Let me tell you what we are not guarded against, our back. Read Ephesians 6 and you see the whole armor of God. There's not one thing to cover your back. Why? Because God's got our back. But you know why we get in trouble? We turn around and run. And we back away from the battle. Our back is exposed to the evil one. And we wound up dead in the valley. So we got to realize this army has been defeated. It's the largeness of this thing. That's, we've got a fight upon our hands. But not only that, it it's, gets very many bones. It was a big boneyard. In other words, you can be big and still be dead. Because something's large does not necessarily mean it's alive. Can I get a little help tonight? Y'all say amen? Now, that don't mean it gives you an excuse to stay small. It just simply means in some areas there's absolutely no way you can have a mega church at Mud Lick. You're not going. You're not going to have ten thousand people here come to church at Mud Lick. You'd have to go a long way to get ten thousand people, wouldn't you? I think so. Does that mean you're any less significant than anybody else? No. It means you're much more significant because that means you've got a small group fighting for this community, fighting for the Lord Jesus here. Standing for God in this place. And so it was, a very, it was very many. It wasn't just a small group. It was a large group, but they were dead. A big boneyard. Cemeteries are big. You know, they're usually the biggest spots around. But everything there is dead. You can join a cemetery. When you join that cemetery, you don't ever move your membership. It just don't happen. And you know what? When you join the cemetery, you go to everybody's graveside service. You never miss one. You never check out. You're there. It's a boneyard. And that's what's happening right here. Some of our churches have come to the place where size doesn't matter at all. It's the life in the church that matters. Not the size of a church, but the life in the church. There's a crowd in the cemetery. but They're not alive. Big crowd. And by the way, that crowd grows every day. One of my good men died today, or yesterday morning, that I pastored for many years. Good man. He, he'll go to the cemetery. It's being added to every day. But there's no life in the cemetery. You said, well, people used to say to me, Brother Glenn, you ought to be happy. Your church is full. I said, why should I be happy? I'm not happy because it's full. I'm glad it is full. That thrills me, but I'm never happy with what we've got simply because I don't want just a full church. I want a full a life, a church full of life. There's a big difference where it's small, medium-sized, large, mega or non-mega. I don't care. It matters not about the size. It matters about the life. And here we have nothing but dead. Now, I'm going to be honest. I'm not going to allow some things. When I pastored, I didn't allow some things to go on my church. I wasn't going to allow unbiblical heretical things to go in our church. I wasn't going to allow people to come in and cause confusion and disturbances. But I also did not want to stop the life in our church. If you clapped your hands, I didn't want everybody to look across the room and think you committed the unpardonable sin. 
If you said amen, I didn't want your wife to run over and smell your breath and slap you and say you're drunk again. I don't want that to happen. I want to make sure that we had some expression. Psalm 47 1 says, Oh, clap your hands, all your people shouting to the Lord with the voice of triumph. It's okay. We have allowed, we have allowed the Pentecostal movement because of our defense against it. We have let them rob us of our livelihood in our worship and in our service and in our love of the Word of God. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted us to be free in our worship. Free in our worship, but yet not disturbing in our worship. Not divisive in our worship. Not confusing in our worship. But yet not to kill the life. Because I found it's a whole lot easier to calm down a fanatic as to resurrect a corpse. Whole lot easier. Yeah, there's some things that goes on to try. When you have an expressive worship, there are people that comes to try to hinder it. It happened in our church. It happened with demons. We had demon oppression in our own church because of it. And I had to deal with it. But I'd much rather deal with that, knowing the devil was upset about what was going on, is that the devil never upset, never got upset about anything in our church. I, want, I wanted life there. But then we said something else. Liberty was there. Notice it says it was an open valley. Someone said all the valley is is a grave with the ends kicked out of it. That might be true. I don't know. But the thing about it is a valley means that you do have two open ends on each end of the valley. That means you're not stuck in the valley. You don't have to live in the valley. You don't have to be defeated. You don't have to die in the valley. You can get out. There's a way out. There's liberty in the valley. And so here we had a group who Went to battle, but they didn't go to battle with God, and they lost. So it was an army of desperation. They had an attitude of desperation. Can these bones live? I don't know. Attitude of, yeah, I don't know. We've got to come to the place where we know that God can still do it again. It's an attitude. But then, no, it's not just that. Now, I'll be quick. There was proclamation here. I, I, this is the simplest the simplest concept that we've gotten away from I've ever seen. Can these bones live? Simple question. Simple question. You remember Mark chapter 1, verse number 41, where a man comes to Jesus and he said, if thou wilt, thou can make me whole. Remember what Jesus said? I will. You want to live? God said, I'll make you live. With the right question and the right answer, we can see victory in the desert. If we get an attitude of, ah, we'll never live. We'll never get anywhere. We'll never get it done. I'm never going to mount anything as a Christian. I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to win anybody to cry. I'm not, we're not going to, our church can't have victory. We can't do it. It's never going to be what it ought to be. If we get that kind of attitude, we can't, we've got to realize God can still do what he always has done. The only limitation he has is us. An attitude of hopelessness does not need to be ours. You say, well, how do you keep that going? Well, he said, what do you do? Uh, and I appreciate Brother Paul and got to know him and love him. And good to be back. It's just to see, I'm glad he's alive. And you know, I'm glad both of us are alive. You know, but I'm especially glad he went through a much difficult time than I did. I'm glad he's alive. But I'm grateful for the stand he took here in this church and how he stood for God and how he stood for the Word of God. And, and that's exactly what God is saying here. You want to know how it happens? Prophesy to these bones. Preach to the bones. 
Somebody used to ask me, how do you deal with your problems? I preach to them. That's how I do it. I preach to them. If we're dead, I preach we're dead. If we've got sin going on, I preach to that sin. Preach to the bones. When your church can come and sit absolutely unmoved, never be uncomfortable at all, there's something wrong. But when they come and they hear somebody who's standing on the Word of God and they're preaching to the bones, it gives us always a chance to have revival in life. There's somebody who could be saved that day. There's somebody who gets stirred up that day. There's somebody who can come back to God that day. You can see it happen when we know we're preaching the Word of God because it's the Word of God who has life. And it will not return void. It will always be successful at some point in some way. We never waste anything when we're preaching this Bible. And you know what we've left off the most today? Preaching. We despise preaching in America. I'm talking about real, Holy Ghost, Bible preaching we despise in America. And we wonder where we're gone. You know, we used to pick a church by the kind of preaching that was in the church before you looked at anything else. Because usually the kind of preaching dictated what kind of church you're going to have. But today, that's the last thing we look about. As long as that preacher don't disturb us and that preacher don't bother us, well, I guess we'll be all happy there. As long as they entertain us, have a little smoking light, you know, you know, wear Converse tennis shoes and a no ear, nose ring, that we'll find. We're fine with that. Just don't preach to us. I had a woman tell me, so I'm not coming to church on a Wednesday night that preaches to me. I said, well, don't come to ours because I'm going to preach to you. And she didn't. <laughs> so I expected that. But she made it clear, I'm not going to let somebody preach to me on Wednesday night. I'm not going to let somebody preach to me on Sunday night. That's what she said. I said, well, that's up to you. But you know what all that says? She's a dry bone. Just a dead dry bone. Because God's people loves the preaching of the Word of God. Why? Because it pleased God by the foods of the preaching to save them that believe. God loves it. He had one son. He made him a preacher. Preaching is what God said do. Preach to the bones. How do you do it? You preach with the hand of the Lord on you. You don't just go preach. Anybody do that. But you preach with the hand of the Lord on you. And he had the hand of the Lord. Ezekiel 1.3, Ezekiel 3.14, Ezekiel 3.22, Ezekiel 8 verse 1. All he says, I'm preaching with the hand of the Lord. In one case, the Bible said, God jerked him up by the hair of the head. Held him up. And gave him a message and said, preach. Why did he do that? Because the connection between heaven and the pew is from the preaching. It takes the word of God, brings the message straight from heaven, straight to the people of God. And that's how people live. That's how churches live. Preach to the bones. You got problems? Preach to them. You got trouble? Preach to it. So that takes a lot of courage. No, it doesn't. It, 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 listen, it takes a whole lot more courage to, be, to make God angry than it is to make the people angry. I'd rather God be pleased if nobody else was. And God said, preach to the bones. That's the only way they're going to live. That's too simple. No. God made it all simple. It's not near as complicated as we've made it. Let's look at the third thing, proclamation. What's this prophecy concerned? He said he, he, he said he does it with the hand of the Lord upon him. And so that means we stand between two worlds. And then in verse 4, he makes sure that he's preaching the word of God. He's not just preaching anything, but he's preaching the word of God. 
And then look at the power that he has in verse number five. That power comes from the spirit of God. It comes from the breath of God. And remember the, 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 the inspiration of Scripture, the word that's used in 2 Timothy about the inspiration of Scripture is the word that means God breathed. God breathed. So it was the Spirit and the power of the Lord that made this preaching functional, made this preaching powerful. And all of a sudden what happens? The bones stuff starts shaking. Everything starts coming together. I don't know how long he preached to the bones. Sometimes it takes a long time to preach to dead people to get them resurrected, you know. You just keep preaching to the bones. Keep preaching to the bones. You keep preaching to the bones. Sooner or later, God said, I'll make them live. I'll make them live. As long as they're responsive, I'll make them live. Let me show you a place where it happened. Let me show you how that life can God breathes. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. I want to show you that this is exactly what God can still do in our churches. It's not, it's not unusual at all for Him to do it. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed, were of the heart and of the soul. In other words, here's a place that people begin to, they were told not to preach the Word of God. They said, we're going to do it anyway. And they did. And the people got together to pray about that. And when they did, God came down and filled it, breathed on them. And the place was shaken with the power of God. So God's saying, hey, I can still breathe if you'll preach to the bone. Just preach to the bone. Preach to the bones. Preach the Word. And look at the last thing. The transformation when you preach to the bones and eventually life starts to come, eventually there's that shaking. It starts to get noisy. Things start to happen. And, and you know, and, and the knee bone's connected to the ankle bone and all that kind of stuff. That song's not got much theology in it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? And so all of a sudden the bones start coming together and sinews start popping and blood starts flowing and things start sounding because there's a great noise. Can I tell you when God starts to move in the church, it's not quiet, it's loud. It makes noise. It'll scare some folks when God starts moving in the church because they're not used to that. But you say, why? Because it gets noisy and it gets scary and things start to change and you might have to slide over a pew. Whoop. You may have to park across the street. You, know. you may lose your parking. I had people literally got mad and left the church because they had to leave their seat because... People would come in, there'd be so many people, they couldn't sit where they wanted to sit. They'd come in and set their purses in the pews, and they would save them, save a whole pew. 16-foot pew, they'd save a whole pew, and expect when they come in to sit down. I said, listen, you don't save a seat. If you want to get your seat, get here, get your behind in it, and you got it. But till then, it's open seating. Because... When you get people shirred up about God, they want to be there. They love to be. They want to be a part. Preach to us. Preach to us. Give us the word we want to live. And when that attitude starts to show up, uh, it gets noisy. You, you start to tear up buildings and have to build bigger. You, like you, you're, you're building a building and that becomes a problem. You say, it's, it's hard to build it. It sure is. But when God starts moving, those are things that has to happen. And by the way, it'll blow your budget sometime. You'll have to get down in that old pocketbook a little deeper than you ever got before. And, and it'll start making you do some things. And there'll be babies crying. 
Not that the parents shouldn't take care of them, make, make them be as quiet as they can. But I'm telling you, when you start to grow and reach people and God starts doing something, you're going to have a crying baby or two. You're going to have a children that's going to trip over sometime. There's going to be some distractions. And new folks who get born again and come to your church will bring baggage. Just like you had it when you got saved. They'll have it when they come. And you get a bunch of little baby spirituals, baby Christians in your church, and they got a lot of little baggage around them. That's okay, because God's breathed life into them. And he brought them to your church so you could have one great big nursery for a while and bring them up where everything connects and they resurrect and stand like a mighty army once again. Mm, You'll see that happen. Yeah, I'll tell you something else you'll have when you start to see God work. You'll have some ignorant Christians, people who don't know a thing except they've just been born again. That's all. And you'll think, well, I thought everybody knew that. No, they don't know that. They don't know that. You know, it, it's, like a, it's like a blind man tripping over your foot. He can't help it. He can't see it. And sometimes we have spiritual babies in our church and, and it gets a little noisy. They're asking questions. They're wanting to know. They're hungry. They're, and so we've got to deal with those babies and that's, what, that's why the bones start popping and the blood starts flowing and sinews start cracking. I mean, everything's going on here making some noise and making some life because folks, let me tell you something. Anything moving in the graveyard will get your attention. Now you get out here at night Walk in the graveyard. You see something moving, see if it don't get your attention. Yeah, you look, whew, that's about the size of my uncle right there. I don't know who that is. That looks like Uncle John. Ah, I'm out of here. Well, they lived 200 years ago. Surely that ain't them. So you start to see movement. So anything in a church that looks like life will start to show up, you know, when the bones start coming together. And so that's what happened here. So... I think probably we need to quit worrying about any kind of progress and let's just get about preaching to the bones. Because sooner sooner or later, they'll start to live. There'll be some bones that'll hear. Remember what he tells them here? He told him, preach and those that hear, they'll hear the word of the Lord. And when they hear the word of the Lord, they'll respond. You said dead people can't hear, spiritually they can. Because all of us before we got saved, you know what was wrong with us? We were dead in trespasses and sins. Because how did we get saved? The Holy Spirit come and convinced us that we was dead. Got our attention. And we heard the word of God. And we responded. And when we did, boom, life came. And we became a believer in Jesus Christ. But then after a while, sometimes we lose that zip. And we got a whole army. That used to stand strong, that used to be on fire, that used to be serving God, that used to be yielding their sword. And they need revival all over again. Can these bones live? Of course they can. They've lived before. They can live again. Jesus promised us He was the Lord of life. He promised us that. Can we live tonight? One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is a story that most people never see and for a long time I think I just read right over it and didn't notice it there but it's in 2 Samuel 23 and it's about David's mighty men you know he had a bunch of those mighty men and listen to what it says about this mighty man in the scriptures he said after him was Shammah 
Shammah's who we're talking about, the son of A.G., the Herite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop. Now, they got a whole troop against this guy where was a piece of ground full of lentils. In other words, a pea patch, a bean patch. And the people fled from the Philistines. Everybody runs. Here comes the enemy. Here comes the evil one. Here comes the giants. Everything that's bigger than they are. Here they come. What do they do? They tuck tail and run. Look what he says. But not Shamgar. Shammah, I mean. He stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines and the Lord wrought a great victory. It don't take a lot of people. It just takes somebody that's willing to say, this is my pea patch and the devil can't have it. And I'll fight for our pea patch. I'll fight for Bethlehem Church. I'll fight for my preacher. I'll fight for our people that sit. I'll fight. We'll stand and we'll wield our sword. And we will not let the enemy have our pea patch. Because that's what he wants. Just a little pea patch? No, it was his pea patch. And he's one, it was God's pea patch. God had given him that pea patch. And he defended that pea patch with all of his heart. That's all I'm saying tonight. We need revival in our heart so we can take a stand at work, at school, at home, in the church, wherever we are, and we're standing for God and saying, you're not having my family. That's my pea patch. The devil's not getting my family. The devil's not getting my Sunday school class. The devil's not getting our preacher. The devil's not getting our church. The devil's not getting our life. He's not causing me to go down that trail. He's not getting my life. I'll stand with my sword. If we can get that attitude, we can have revival once again. You remember his disciples felt so hopeless before, after the resurrection, before the day of Pentecost? And the Bible says that Jesus gathered them together in John chapter 20. He said, peace be unto you. He said, my peace he gives them. And then he said, so that you may have the power on earth to remit sins. In other words, I'm going to give you the power to give the gospel out so people can get saved. And then the Bible said he breathed upon them. Breathed upon them. In other words, they now had the life of God in them so that Peter could stand on the day of Pentecost and preach to dead bones and thousands come alive that day. So all I'm saying tonight is we need revival. And I'll not give up my pea patch. What about you? I'm not going to give up my pea patch to complacency. I'm not going to give it up to compromise. I'm not going to give it up to confrontation. I'm not going to give it up to confusion. I'm not giving up my pea patch to the enemy of death because Jesus died on the cross so that I might have victory. Jesus died so that I don't have to stay dead. He could give me eternal life and I will stand for the pea patch no matter what. Can these bones live? I think they can. I think they can if we'll hear the word of the Lord. What's Brother Paul left to do? <laughs> Just keep preaching to the bones. Just keep preaching to the bones. One of these days, he's all, you already see start, every now and then you see some life starts to come. And then another life starts to come. Another life starts to come. Next thing you know, a dead army is rising up. So tonight, I'll tell you to get behind and support the preaching of the Word of God. Do not give up on it in a day when everybody else has. 
Because God hasn't. He hasn't. Can these bones live? Yeah. Tonight, if you're struggling in your spiritual life, I have those days, those times, those seasons to where I get to where I don't have the fire I ought to have. I don't have the heart I ought to have. And I have to get with God and say, God, would you just fill me up again? And so how do you have that happen? Empty out everything and let God fill you with him. That's it. Anything that might get in the way of life, anything that might get in the way of serving God, we repent of, get it out of our heart, confess it, and God fills us up all over again. I think four times within about six chapters is the disciples in Acts filled with the Spirit because they're just like us. Every day they fought, and every day they fought against the flesh and they fought against the devil, and sooner or later they wind up tired and weary and they need refueling again. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. So tonight, if you're here and you're not saved, don't worry about the fact that you're dead right now. Remember, the truth is, in 25 seconds, you can be alive. It don't take God long to give you life once you say, Lord, wilt thou give me, wilt thou make me whole? He says, I will. I will. Will you save me, Lord? I will. I will. Will you revive me, Lord? I will. Will you protect our family? I will. When you surrender everything to Him, He'll promise you life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. All of you have got families you love. All of you have got friends you love. All of you have got a church you love. You've got a community you love. Remember, the only hope this community has is this church and the people in this church and other churches like this that believe the Bible and love God. And so tonight, to take it seriously and say, I'm not letting the devil have our pea patch. He's not getting my family, not getting my kids, not getting my little girl, not getting my little boy, not having my teenagers, not having our church, he's not having our classes. He's not having our fellowship. He's not sealing our prayer life. We're going to stand. Because God has given us life. Maybe somebody tonight needs to come and kneel at this altar and ask God to fill them. Maybe they just need to empty out everything that's got between them and God and just say, God, fill me again with your life. Breathe on me. Breathe on me tonight. And he'll fill you up once again. Bring life into your life. Set you aflame for Jesus Christ. Father, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Our song leader will be coming, leading us in a hymn invitation. Brother Paul will be here to help. And anything you need, I know he'll be glad to help you with. Others will. He'll let you just talk to God. If you just need to talk to God, you don't have to talk to anybody but God. But tonight, won't you just come and give your heart to Jesus? If you're lost, don't, don't, don't walk out of here with no life. Don't walk out of here walking around living in a cemetery. Walk out of here living in the light and the life of Jesus Christ. You can come tonight and be saved. You can be born again tonight by believing what Christ did on the cross for you was sufficient to pay for your sins. So tonight, we'll sing and you come. If you need to come get revival tonight, just fill me, God. Fill me, God. Or maybe you need to come pray for your families tonight. God, give me the grace to stand. Let's start to sing. You be coming. Paul's here to help you any way you can. If he needs me to help, I'll be glad to help.
but you come in this invitation. We might just need a good old-fashioned altar call tonight.